Warning, the following audio transmission is based on theory and is intended for entertainment purposes only. It's Doomsday and its affiliates will not be held liable for anything your dumbass does. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to It's Doomsday Podcast. I am your host, Codename Jester. Today is May 12th, 2022. Time is approximately 9.17. Guys, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right into Ruby Ridge Part 2. If you haven't listened to Part 1 yet, go back and listen to Part 1. You have to get the complete story. And please stick around till the very, very end. I know I don't typically upload a lot of the live shows, guys, but... With the passing of Randy Weaver that I just found out about today, I figured, you know, get him up. People might want to hear the story, so we're going to try to get it out there. But we're going to jump right in, guys. Here we go. All right, that's when they knew that the Weaver family has had suffered their first casualty. That's when they figured it out, okay? And this um, this changed a lot, okay? Up until this point, they didn't even know anybody in the Weaver family was injured. Okay, so now the FBI is like, oh, fuck. Now we know why they're not coming out. This changed total perspective for them. Okay, so um, the FBI sat on this information overnight. The the general public's at the fucking at the roadblock. They're all fired up. They can't they can't get these people calmed down. Um, So they waited to the next day in the morning to announce that uh, Samuel Weaver, 14 years old, had been killed. Okay. This was a this was a big big deal. This is what brought in all the neo Nazi support. This is what brought in the extra people. You had citizens ready to go to war for the Weavers, like they were they were pissed. These are already guys that have a big distrust in the federal government. So this is solidifying all their beliefs. It's it's making it deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, a day on day four, uh, the FBI announced that Samuel Weaver, 14 years old, was dead. Um, and then here's what changed a big part of the game. On day five, the FBI went to investigate the original crime scene where the dog was killed, um, where the where the U.S. Marshal was killed. They went back to that scene. Now, remember when I said that U.S. Marshal called in like very frantic, this, that, the other? Mm-hmm. Um they were under the impression there was this giant, huge shootout. Then the FBI found out that they greatly exaggerated. There was only a few shell casings picked up. Like, it was not what the U.S. Marshals described. Right? So now the FBI's like, what the fuck? Like, we thought this was way worse than what it was. Now we're finding a dead 14-year-old kid that was killed by Americans and this isn't as bad as you said it was. Now now the game is starting to change a little bit. And at this point, 
their rules of engagement to shoot any male that was armed. This is when this changed. This is when this rule of engagement was called off and this whole shoot on site, shoot a male armed on site was taken away. All right. Um, but at this time, again, like I said, the roadblock protests were, uh, they were escalating. Uh, we, we have multiple neo-Nazis. People are even barbecuing on the side of the road and cooking for people that are there in support of the weavers. Okay. Um, and this is also when Bo Greitz became involved. Uh, Colonel Bo Greitz became involved. He's, he's another topic for another day, but if you guys get a chance, go look up Colonel Bo Greitz. He's a very interesting individual and he is one of the big, like, uh, I guess you could say like front men for the, uh, right wing, the extreme right wing groups. He's pretty well known. Okay. And on day eight of the siege, the FBI allowed Bo to go up the mountain and speak to Randy Weaver. And he, I mean, he went up there unarmed. I don't think he had any kind of body armor or anything like that. He just went up there. And obviously Randy knew who he was because he's, he's listened to Bo on the radio, I guess. So he knew who he was. Okay. Um, and then this is when the FBI discovered Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris had been shot and were injured. And this is also when they discovered that Vicki Weaver had been murdered. Okay. So at this point, the FBI is really like, what the fuck? Cause they had no idea that sniper that took that 200 yard shot. Um, he didn't even know he killed anybody. Okay. So now this gets announced to the general public and, and these, these citizens that are in this roadblock, they're ready to start killing people. They are pissed. And I'm, and I'm really shocked. Bullets didn't start flying in that, in that very moment. So this is when, you know, they really, really start pulling back. They're like, you know, there's all this bad shit going on. We're pulling back this fueled public anger. And at this point, the, the media can't even justify what's happening anymore. Um, this is now becoming an outcry for the guys that are held up in Ruby Ridge. And the media did a lot to paint it in a very different way. Like they always do. All right. Um, over the next few days, Bogreitz kept up communication with Randy Weaver. And they also allowed a, uh, they also allowed a family friend named Jackie Brown to go in, uh, as they were removing the body of Randy Weaver's wife, uh, Vicki Weaver. So they, they, uh, Randy allowed them to take Vicky's body out. Um, and this was a big emotional time. Like these, these two little girls are watching. Um, well, the one was really, really young. She probably doesn't remember a lot, but these two other girls, uh, watch their dead mother be carried out. I mean, you know, brains blown out, her blood's all over the floor. They had no choice, but to drag her into the kitchen pantry. They like, that's where they left her body at. They had no choice. Um, so they, they watched this happen. And then Jackie Brown came up and, they allowed her to come in and, and clean up the aftermath. This was good and bad. Um, now, the feds also shut off water to the cabin, so they had to send uh, Jackie in there with two five-gallon buckets of water to clean this blood up. The reason why I say this was good and bad is because you're actively destroying evidence at this point, okay? Blood coagulation time, a lot of things were, were destroyed in the process of this cleanup. But it really had no bearing on the case. All right. Um, on day 10, uh, Bogreitz was able to get Kevin Harris out of the cabin in order to get him medical attention. Kevin Harris was fucked up and he was he was pretty much dying at that point. So they got his ass out of there. At this time, um, 
Jackie Brown also returned with some supplies for the Weavers. Uh, Randy made a list. Hey, this is what we need, like food-wise, this, that, the other, if you could if you could help us out. At this point, the FBI and, and all these guys, they started feeling a little bit guilty, so they let Jackie go in there and, and take these things in to him, okay? Um, the and, and then this is when tensions started to rise once again because at this point, you've got hundreds of federal agents, all of this stuff going on, uh, all, all again, add up the money. They set a full blown base of operations below this mountain. There's military tents. There's hundreds of guys. There's, uh, HRT teams being sent in from all around the country. It's wild. The amount of manpower that went into this, like I said, full blown military base, base of operations at the bottom of the mountain in front of this fucking cabin. Okay. So the FBI knows they fucked up, and the FBI knows that we can't keep this operation going for much longer. Um, it was at this point, the FBI informed Bogreitz that if he didn't get him out of there, they were going to come in and take him by force. And that was at force by any means necessary. We saw something very similar at, Ruby, or at uh, Waco, okay? So... The Weavers, uh, Randy Weaver said uh, when Bo Greitz showed up the morning of the 11th, uh, Randy informed Bo, he says, listen, we've been praying all night and we're ready to die here. We know if we come out that door, we are going to die and we are prepared to do so. So whatever Bo was able to, whatever he said, the small talk Randy to get him out of there was successful. So on day 11, Randy came out. Um, once Randy came out of the cabin and and made it down the mountain with his daughters, uh, his wounds were treated and then he was arrested. Okay. Now here's something I'm a little bit, again, fuzzy on. I'm not sure if Sarah Weaver was actually in that cabin or not. She's done interviews where she talks about the bacterial spray from her mother and how horrible the situation was. Um, But then there's also a lot of talk of Randy writing a letter to Sarah so somebody could tell his side of the story. So I'm confused if Sarah was even there or not. We know Rachel Weaver was, but she's not doing any interviews, any updates, anything. And Sarah Weaver is, is, I mean, I, I hate to say anything bad about her because this is a traumatic situation to go through, but she is definitely enjoying the attention. She wrote a book. She does all kinds of interviews. You can find her everywhere online. She is definitely enjoying the attention. We'll we'll put it that way. As far as Alicia goes, nothing. All right. Uh, Kevin Harris, uh, Kevin Harris, and Randy Weaver at this point were both charged with murder and conspiracy. All right. Now this is the aftermath of this. Once Randy was arrested, um, Wait, can, his, conspiracy for what though? I don't know. Um, that the government really, was trying to fucking take him down because obviously that was true. What were they inquiring for? I don't know. I don't know if it was if if it was considered conspiracy because you know you're held up in this cabin. Like I really I I don't know, man. I'm really fuzzy on this whole on this whole thing. Like I'm I'm really fuzzy on it. So, um, again, so once Weaver was arrested, his daughters were sent back to Iowa. I couldn't find out too much information on where his daughters went when they got to Iowa. I'm assuming with a family friend or family member, something like that. Um, Kevin Harris went through a three-month trial and was found not guilty. Remember, 
Kevin Harris was the one that shot the U.S. Marshal, which is what kind of started that big craze of we got a, we got an officer down. We need all this backup and support. Um, three month trial found not guilty was released. Um, Randy Weaver was also found not guilty during his trial, except for the original charge of failure to appear at court. He then served 18 months for failure to appear at court. Okay. Now in 1994, um, the Weaver family filed a civil suit. And in 1995, they were awarded $3.1 million. Now, each daughter, each surviving daughter, there's three daughters. You've got Isabel, Rachel, and Sarah. Each daughter got a million dollars apiece, and Weaver got 100000 out of the settlement. Since then, Weaver has went on to do interviews. He's done, he was in, uh, done interviews with the Discovery Channel for their documentaries on this. Uh, he's been an avid speaker for uh, white right-wing stuff. And um, Randy has went on to wrote, write a book about this uh, along with Sarah Weaver as well. They've both written books. But, guys, that is the tale of the Ruby of the siege at Ruby Ridge. Surprised I didn't charge him with uh, any of the January 6th convictions. <laughs> so, guys, this was um, – trying to think if i got anything else here i need to add into this i really don't think i really don't think that i do but i mean this this operation that they pulled on the on randy weaver this was sloppy at best man i mean this was a shit show from the very beginning with the atf once the u.s marshals got involved it became shittier once the fbi got involved it got worse so when 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 we talk about this this trust for the federal government and all of these things I mean, it, it's it's horrible, you know. Oh, hi, Lexi, you're over on the. Cloud so they right never, now. so they never even tried him. Well, okay, let me ask you this then. So he was found innocent of the weapons charge. Then, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing that I can't put my. I, dude, I, I'm not sure. Because um, you made it sound like. When he went to trial, he went to trial probably like over the whole shootout, and and then you're like, well, the only thing he was found guilty for was a missed court uh, appearance. But then, did they even do a fucking court uh, a trial for the original weapons conviction? And if they didn't, then how the fuck did he miss a court day for it? Yeah, see, that's that's a good point. Um, maybe, maybe. God, I'm, look, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I've been researching this shit for a fucking week. I am not doing a part two on it. I am not. I'll, I may look up a few things for clarification in another episode, but dude, my brain has went to mush over the research in this fucking case. I mean, it's it's bad. I'm so happy to not read through these through these papers again. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it does it it um it does beg the question though, you know, what went on with that? You know, did they did they drop that charge? Um did did they kind of label it as entrapment? Like what actually happened there for them to, you know, either reduce or drop those charges? And then what I also want to know is you said that the one guy that that shot and killed an officer was found innocent. 
So yeah. that that makes you wonder, okay, then were they on the property without a warrant or unjustifiably on the property? Here's the thing. Again, with everything we and I got to get into this a little bit more on on this side of it. So again, I want you guys to again start racking the, these costs up in your head. Um, it's it's estimated uh, up into the millions, millions and millions of dollars went into this, minus the settlement that was three point one million, all for all for a guy that sawed two barrels off two shotguns to sell them for seven hundred dollars. This is what the federal government is willing to do. Okay, just think about that shit. Anyway, um, the way I'm looking at it is you're pulling the surveillance operation. These guys are in full camo. They're fully geared out. They don't know who's in the woods shooting at them. So I think it may have even came down to a self-defense thing and they've been found not guilty. I didn't go into the trial of this too much because that's a whole nother side to this. I mean, the siege in itself is enough. I didn't want to get into the trial. Not heavily anyway. And I believe one of the original FBI agents that did the Ruby Ridge deal was also one of the same ones that worked the uh, Waco incident. Um, Eric's telling me to look up at a chat. Sorry, guys. I've been really crappy with the chats tonight. If you guys like conspiracies, type in the video game connection, Homeboy 88 podcast, my latest episode, conspiracy show, no joke about it, underground world railway system. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Underground Railroad is not a conspiracy. That's real. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, we, we, we are going to keep going. We are going to run out our full hour, two hours tonight. But, guys, this this pretty much wraps this up. I'm going to take Collins now. But I, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode tonight, man, because, ooh, buddy, I my wife is probably sick to death of hearing about all this stuff. Cause I've been talking about nothing but Ruby Ridge since last Sunday and doing all this research on it. Um, I just, I really hope you guys did enjoy the show tonight. I really, really do. So um, Adam says it was a, it was the same agent and same negotiators from Ruby Ridge to Waco. And that you would have thought someone would have gotten fired over that shit, huh? You know, that kind of, that kind of is starting to, ring some bells because i swear i remember that same dickhead talking during some uh waco shit that i watched yeah because i i there was um <laughs> that netflix uh uh series on waco you know I, that's I'm pretty sure they they start off with the ruby ridge incident like explaining that and it was like the same guy working it as the as he did the uh the waco deal Oh, I don't doubt it. Um, when you're in that, I guess when you're in that position, you could be pulled in uh, to multiple different areas. But wow, man, wow! It's it's a hell of a case, and and I felt it. You know, at this time for the Weaver family, it was fucking doomsday. That's what it was, and. You guys out there, if if you're out there and, you know, you're doing the homesteading thing and you're wanting to live off grid and, you, and you're doing these things, um, just remember there is no protection for you from the federal government. It's not a thing. But do not go down the roads that uh, Randy Weaver went down. There's a lot of things that could have happened to prevent this. Um, 
Number one, Randy Weaver could have not gotten hooked up with these extremist groups. Number two, he didn't have to make that weapons deal. Number three, the judge could have revoked bond, and that would have changed the whole outcome here. Um, th- there's a lot that could have happened differently, and, and Wiki, uh, Vicky Weaver and um, Samuel Weaver could have still been alive today, along with the U.S. Marshal, right? I mean, it's, it's very, very, very scary. Um, but, you know, it makes you wonder, too, and this is how I've always imagined – an actual like not Maybe insurrection, but like a <laughs> somewhat of a civil war would would actually go down because you would have these little militia groups form right, and in the, at least in the beginning, uh, and you would see the government go in and actually just crush these militia groups like this. And uh, another good example was, and I think it was in 2016 out in Oregon, uh, Amon Bundy was the guy's name, and they had held up. Um, Oh, they basically made a checkpoint and like cleared out an area and was in a standoff. I don't think anyone got shot, but for a period of time, like they held up an area, but I don't think they really, I don't know if they broke any laws or not, but they were protesting something, but they were armed and the government was willing to go in there and basically start a war with them. Uh, And I think initially you would see, these small militia groups going in and getting in fights with the FBI or the police or whoever before a majority of the population realizes like, you know, what's going on here is kind of fucked up, right? Like it would take a little bit of time to, to build up to the point of like a full out uh, war like that. But these groups like the Ruby Ridge incidents, the one in Oregon, the Waco deal, it w- I think what you'll see is like multiple um, incidents like that in a short period of time. And they're going to be focused at a certain demographic. So uh, Lexi says she has questions. Lexi, if you want to call in, you're, you're more than welcome to. Uh, at this point, I, I am select. I'm going to be a little bit selective who calls in, but I am going to allow some people to call in because um, I, I may use this for the upload. Uh but this really makes me want to cover Waco next. And after that, Oklahoma city, because these are all, these all kind of go together. Like all three of these things kind of go hand in hand. Right. Um, yes. What Adam says, the actions at Waco and Ruby Ridge contributed to the Oklahoma city botting Tim- Timothy McVeigh confirmed this. He absolutely did. And, you know, one, there is one takeaway from this um, that uh, it is kind of a shining light, I guess you could say, is the FBI now utilizes the Ruby Ridge thing as a training technique of what not to do. So they did learn from their mistakes and they are utilizing this today for training as how to not fuck up and what not to do. No, they're and, just taking place and inciting the riots, like in January 6th. So they did the opposite. <laughs> yeah. They completely flipped script. <laughs> so when everybody, you know, goes out there and says, you know, there's no way the government would turn guns or, you know, turn like a militarization uh, kind of situation against their citizens. It happened here. It happened at Waco. 
if something broke bad like this again, I wouldn't doubt if it would happen again. <clears throat> and you got to think about <clears throat> some other things that have taken place over the years. Um, so you, you've got these situations that take place in the, in the early nineties, not soon after you have a fucking, you have the situation at fucking Columbine where they were scared to go in and do anything. Parker so, was the same thing. The cop was scared. Remember he ran yeah. away. I mean, so like, I don't, I, I don't get it guys. It's just really, it's really wild. In, in general, this is a very wild, gruesome case. And I think that everybody needs to have this takeaway that we are not, um, we're not all living in these safe little bubbles somewhere where we cannot be touched by the feds. If that makes sense. And I'm just going to go through here and read um, what what about the, the Unabomber and Red Flag 2. I might cover the Unabomber. We might do that. I'm reading some chats over here on the Clapper. Um, this talk is worth 14 years in the PRN, in the pen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, guys. But this this is just wild. And, and I appreciate everybody that came in tonight and stuck it in here with me. Like I said, we're going to go for we're going to go for the full two hours. And once again, if ever, anybody wants to call in, uh, you, you are more than welcome to. Um, as long as you got something important to say, the the uh, the lines are open. You know, and here's another one you're uh, forgetting about in that same, you know, during the 90s. I don't know. I can't remember the exact year, but the same time frame that the FBI really fucked up on was Richard Jewell. I mean, that was a complete fuck up. And that was a four year search after that for the actual guy that did it in countless amount of dollars. So American woman, um, I know who you are from TikTok, uh, says that Weaver was no saint. But he was singled out, targeted, and then made an example of. No, he he definitely wasn't a saint. He was definitely a right wing extremist, and he was definitely a um he was definitely racist as fuck. He he absolutely was not a saint. Okay, he's he's labeled everywhere as a white separatist. You know, he That's was not a crime. It's it's not a crime, but he was involved with these groups. He definitely was. Yeah. You know, and and that's how they targeted his ass. They targeted his ass through these groups and, and these meetings and stuff he was attending. Um, but regardless of his political beliefs, regardless of his racial beliefs, you shouldn't um, you shouldn't go start murdering his family. Um, Chris, I did not get to look at the essays. I'm sorry, bud. I did not get to check those out. But he's intriguing to say the least. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, and if you hear him, I mean, he's he's up there now. He's in his seventies now. Um, but if you hear him talk about the situation, he is still like his mindset has not changed. This just, you know, he was paranoid about the government and scared of the government to begin with. This just solidified his beliefs. And this this solidified a lot of people's beliefs around the nation that the government couldn't be trusted. If you guys remember in the 90s and in uh, early 2000s, you know, everybody was always, you know, talking about this anarchist movement of having no government like that. That's what they wanted. Right. And it and it's like it's this kind of situation everybody was in fear of. And then it fucking happened. Government overreach is crazy. And I've talked about this many times before on the show. It's very, very bad. Mm. to say the least anyway i don't know 
Michael, you got anything you want to add? I feel like I'm talking to myself up here. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'm good. I think you did a good job explaining it. You know, and I, I just think there's a lot of examples on how this, especially the FBI, seems to be fucking up. <laughs> you know, there's there's so many different examples. Again, you got the, Ruby Ridge, you got Waco, you got Richard Jewell, you got, I mean, now you know, and then now there's, there's obviously. Adam, you got a little bit of an echo there, bud. Now you have accusations that the FBI not only knowingly uh, or not only knew about January, the January 6th, but helped escalate it. So there's a, there's a lot of things that seem to be sketchy about uh, some of this. And, and it makes you wonder, you know, you brought up the money part. What, what benefit did they get? It's not like the military where they're spending money and they're trying out new weaponry, you know, and, and – like they could at least justify the use of a lot, you know, the waste. But the, for the FBI, to, what are they justifying? They're not trying out anything new. They're not, um, you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no justification for even that. Let, let me say this real quick, and then I want to welcome Adam in because he, he just called into the live. Uh, so I want to say this real quick. This was – you had the ATF – the U.S. Marshal Service, the FBI, local law enforcement, and state law enforcement spending exuberance amount of money to get this guy for no re- like for no real big horrible crime. It's not like he was a convicted murderer. You know, it's it's not like he did something that horrible to warrant this cost. I mean, you. What he they would have spent on imprisoning this man for his crimes and, and keeping him in federal prison wouldn't have been 2% of what they spent at Ruby Ridge along with the settlement, right? Think think about that for a second. Anyway, Adam, welcome into the live show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Been a great show. First time listening, but I appreciate your work. Thank you. Appreciate that. So uh, I actually am a hostage negotiator. Oh, no and shit. work for a federal law enforcement agency. Uh, I learned a lot about Ruby Ridge, Waco, all those events. And like you said earlier in the, the show, the ATF and the FBI have kind of slowed down. And I think that's why the event in Oregon and some of the other events have been less violent because the bad press on all these events. But by all means, there is not a time and a place where there is not a tactical decision ready to go. They want us to talk for as long as possible, but they're willing to go in their guns blazing if they can justify it on paper. Now, of course, we're in the age of iPhones and cameras, so it's harder for them to get away with stuff. But just think about if there would have been cameras at Ruby Ridge, how different the whole situation would have turned out to be. Not to mention that... Back then, the ATF and the FBI had these huge um, budgets and no oversight. Now they have tons of oversight and their budgets are going down. But that does not mean that they won't do something like this again to someone who they believe has done something wrong. Just you're right that they, I mean, the time in prison versus the spent time on a non-hostage situation was astronomical. Now, yeah, okay. It, so, uh, now, Adam, I want to appreciate you calling in because I got I have a lot of questions for you since you called in. Appreciate it. Um, so the first question I guess I have is, 
when you said you were a federal hostage negotiator um and uh, they use the Waco thing and they use the Ruby Ridge uh thing as training do do they get in to how Bo Greitz made it uh Bo Greitz made a difference with the Ruby Ridge case um because he came into this just as a civilian off the streets and was able to do wonders in a short period of time and I know that the FBI was really worried about what the outcome was going to be of sending Colonel Bogreitz up there. Um, so did they talk about that at all? Absolutely. And um, number one in negotiating is never let an outsider come into your negotiations because they're a wild card. Um, if he would have flipped the script and said, hey, stay strong, fight back, um, it would have just thrown all the negotiations out the door. So when it's possible, that's the last thing you want to do. So we are always encouraged. I mean, let's just say something involved you. We're not necessarily going to bring your wife in to talk to you. Now you would think, hey, no, no, his wife can talk him down. Or your, my, your wife might push your buttons or gaslight you, and next thing you know, you're going you know, Rambo on us. So it's not ideal to bring in an outside person, but when um, at Ruby Ridge, they were so dug in and prepared for the long term they had no choice but to do that and did the same thing in Waco. They videotaped the kids and sent those videos inside to encourage uh, the members to come out. But they tend not to want to get them on the phone or even in person. But this is in the early ages of negotiation where it's not considered to be – it wasn't the first three choices back then. Okay, I, I, I totally understand. Um <sighs> I guess the next question I have is um, the rules of engagement played a very big factor in the death of uh, Vicki Weaver with this. Okay. When the orders of engagement were given and approved by Washington, like I said, it was stated that they could, uh, they were encouraged to use deadly force with any male that was armed. All right. And, you know, I believe this is what led the FBI agent to, to take some random wild card shots. All right. And, and again, I mean, you know, I use a rifle. I'm not bad with one. 200 yards with a scope is you're able to identify a target. I mean, I could I could hit it 500 yards with iron sights all day. I, you know, so the idea that this guy couldn't get a clear depiction on what he was targeting at 200 yards with a scope and him being a trained sniper and me just being some hillbilly out here in the woods with iron sights. Um I, I would really imagine that they probably redid a lot of these tactics on rules of engagement. So what has changed in that respect? Well, it's not one of my areas of expertise. I'm more of a talker versus the tactical side. But from what I've seen, you're never supposed to shoot at a blind target. To my understanding, he pulled that trigger after that door was shut. Yeah. So he was shooting at, you know, either his training was poor or he deliberately pulled that trigger. But our guys get hundreds of hours behind those scopes, hours and hours of sitting to take one shot, precision, timing, everything. I mean, um, marksmen's they, they don't just do it one day every few months. They spend their whole career shooting paper at different angles, different positions. I mean, this is nothing new. Back then, it was still a, a very... Um, sought after skills so they he had to have known that he was shooting blind or something i mean obviously the when you start getting into him and the lack of interviews and accountability on his actions 
that's kind of a, it's a different world when it comes to what his tactics were. Now, there's usually some sort of game plan that there will be something that can be done in the event that the hostage takers or the threat does start doing something. So anyone who usually is holding a gun is a threat, but sometimes, and you know, this is going to be hard to believe, but my job is to talk you out. I've got all day to talk you out. I can spend six months talking you down, but the tactical guys want to pull triggers. They don't come to sit around and do nothing. So they're going to find an opportunity and I've got to talk these tactical guys down to ensure that I can have my time to talk, but they may use me to talk someone to a certain location so they can shoot them. So I do have a role in the tactical situation, but the rules of engagement change from situation to situation, depending on the need and the threat that these, you know, whoever is involved are. Sometimes there's nothing we can do to talk them down. They're eventually going to end up going tactical, but my job is to sell my, my tactics, which is going to be to delay and delay and let me talk as much as possible. And, and I want to even go as far as, you know, one of the things that you're told when you go get your concealed carry, when you do anything, right, you're responsible for that bullet. And I imagine that if a civilian is, then most definitely a, a police officer is. And if they went in that situation with even a potential that it was a hostage hostage scenario which it sounds like they thought it was for him to go and just pull that trigger regardless in that direction in towards a house knowing that there are potential hostages in there and not knowing for sure what you're shooting at like how is that not a criminal investigation on the sniper well there was an investigation but there's a term and forgive me i can't remember it off the top of my head but it's something called uh it's something immunity where essentially they give law enforcement personnel, if they believe what they were doing was legitimate, they are given immunity because they believe that what they were doing was within the scope of their jobs. Right. Uh, I know. I know. I used to work in law enforcement. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called either. Um, but that does end if that does end for you if your agency is not willing to back you. Correct. Um, and, and it, we call that in law enforcement, we call that uh, if your agency would write a golf check, okay? And they clearly did in the Ruby Ridge case. They clearly ended up writing a golf check uh, to the Weaver family. Now, I... Wouldn't he got, let me, sorry, I, before we move on, though. Wouldn't he... Because what got him to ultimately shoot was he was re-entering the house, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he was so running back So that means his back would have been towards the sniper, going into the house so he tried to shoot him in the back and then he basically recklessly shot knowing that people were in that direction correct at a moving target too yeah i mean he was armed but he wasn't a threat yeah to anyone at that point because he was he was re-entering the house with his family really but i get the whole hostage thing what i'm saying is he was moving for one you were shooting in the direction of not just him but the potential hostages in that house and in towards his back. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like he was stationary. You had eyes on him. You shoot him regardless of whatever direction he was facing. If that was the target, that's the target. But you recklessly at that point. And I feel like immunity, I, and you know, I'm always usually on the police side, but immunity can only go so far here. Right. I mean, on how reckless that, that shot had to be. Correct. And 
they were, you have to remember law enforcement is a big family and uh, not necessarily, you know, you got to support your family. You're supposed to, but you don't always. And one of their brothers had just gotten killed and, you know, limited information was provided. And then the, the rules of engagement were told and they're thinking Weaver is this cold blooded racist murder. Well, he was racist, but he wasn't necessarily a murderer. Uh, you know, they didn't identify themselves. And this is why I'm not a big fan of the no knock warrants either. Yeah. People killed. Uh, but, you know, back then was a whole different time frame. I mean, if you were to put this situation, like I said, today, it would go on, it would have gone a lot different, but the outcome may not have changed. Well, okay. So Adam, I want to interject real quick. Uh, Lexi in the chat says she thinks it's called uh, qualified immunity. Maybe. That is correct. Okay, so all right. Um yeah, so th- the other thing I want to ask too, I don't and I don't, I don't know if you'd be familiar with this at all, but I know that they had a psychological profile compiled on the Weaver family. The US Marshals did not the FBI. How much is that utilized today in hostage negotiation? That is actually um very important. Uh when we're setting up our um our tactical situation, we get as much information as possible. We want medical records. We want education, military, criminal, uh, any sort of disciplinary. I mean, if you stole your coworkers lunch, we want to know about it because the more we know, the more we can talk about. Now that information not might not be shared with everyone because everybody doesn't need to know that, but we may need to do that because we need to know the good things and the bad things um, that we can talk to you about. We don't want to throw in there a trigger about something that happened to you that may get you violent or get you to hang up the phone. So it really depends on, you know, the situation. Uh, the agents on the, the ground probably did not have all that information because they didn't need it. But the negotiators, the supervisors, they probably did have it. And from what I understand, the information was pretty basic wasn't uh it was you know he was a vet knew his weapons was a racist you know he he lived up in the mountains with his family survivalist um refused to show up for court type of thing versus an in-depth uh psychological evaluation that we would have nowadays so adam let me ask you this uh because we know randy was uh prior army we know he was a green beret uh, in, in the training that you received on this, uh, did that, do you think that that played any factor into the FBI giving the rules of engagement they did or, or any actions that were taking place by any law enforcement agency that was involved? So I believe that the AT, so the ATF is not as logical. I'm sorry. That's a bad word. They're not as logical as the FBI um, they like to come and play with their, their, their guns and their equipment. Um, FBI, they're the ones who have, you know, the host negotiation teams are the ones who are more uh, precise when it comes to certain things. So uh, the rules of engagement were probably put down by someone up in Washington who was explained, who had no idea and just heard a uh, man holding his family, uh, well-armed, you know, Green Beret, you know, you hear those special forces and they immediately think this person is probably more skilled than I am. And that can, you know, get you a little scared. So I, I'm really surprised that they would throw down these type of rules of engagement because, I mean, 
anyone armed, I mean, that sounds like what we would do in Iraq or Afghanistan, not something we would do in the United States. Well, so I think that the rules of engagement in Afghanistan were, were actually less than what they presented in Ruby Ridge. Um, I, I know that I think under the Obama administration, it was it was that they you had to be engaged before you could engage. But uh, with the Ruby Ridge situation, the uh, it was basically the rules of engagement that were put on play is, you know, you can and, and are encouraged to use deadly force if you see an armed male. Right. Yeah. And to me, I mean, I get it. You just have a U.S. Marshal killed. You don't know fully what's going on yet. You don't know who's there. You don't know that these kids have been killed. All you know is right wing federal fugitive armed and a U.S. Marshal's dead. So like you said, I understand having the confusion when these post orders are written, you know, and, and the rules of engagement are written. Um, and I have to ask, since I got you here, because um, I can't find any record of it online at all. Did you happen to be privy to how much money was spent on this operation? <laughs> you know, honestly, I I wasn't. Uh, that was not part of my training. Honestly, the next time that I uh, have a chance, I will uh, reach out to somebody who might know. But yeah, that's just that was not in my, that was not something that was uh, important to me. But like you've been talking all show, I mean, it's it had to have been in the millions, uh, just. Millions upon millions. I can't even guess. Because I know how much a, a rollout today would have cost with that information. You know, if we were, if, we, if I was deployed today, how much, you know, it could cost, depending on where I was deployed throughout the country, how many people on my team, our equipment, our tactical guys. I mean, you're talking, you know, 10, 10 20,000 just to get us on site. Um, so, yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine how much it costs. And I'm sure that uh, someone in D.C. just does not want that information out. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They don't want this information out there. I've I looked I looked long and hard for this information and I could not find a price point. And what's really funny is when we all know Google algorithms and it's all manipulated. We all know that every time I would try to look this information up it would only divert me back to articles about what the settlement was for the Weaver family. Um, which again, I mean, you, you got to think that, that there is in the millions, you know, 3.1 million. So and that was in the nineties. That That's too. not today's money. That was nineties money. Right. So, I mean, this, this is approximately, you know, this all took place approximately 20 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or no, I'm sorry, 30 years ago. My bad. It took place approximately 30 years ago. So think about cost of inflation and things like that over, over 30 years. I mean, if this operation would have taken place today, you could be talking billions in today's oh, month. Oh, yeah. And, um, and remember that Waco was 40 days. And they had even more agents, more equipment. I mean, not that I want to get into Waco right now, but... Yeah, they they went way over budget, and you have to remember the ATF was or the FBI was brought in to correct what the ATF had messed up, mm -hmm. and just doing that, bringing in a separate agency to fix and then switch over all the tactical gear. I mean, logistics for keeping everyone fed, housing, uh, communications. I mean, 
the, I don't even I wouldn't want to see the bill at the end of this. And I doubt any taxpayer would want to see the bill at the end of this and then the human life loss to add up to that as well. Right. And and that's the big thing for me. I mean, I I myself, okay, I'm this guy that has this like-minded mindset of Randy Weaver. Okay. I, I don't trust the government. All right. I live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, you know, moved from the city to do so. I am the survivalist prepper guy. I am not a right wing extremist and I am not a racist. That's where it varies. Um, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm a conservative, but I, I neither lean. I don't lean too far. Right. Cause I think the right's just as fucked up as the left. It's just in a different capacity. So I don't side with either side, but I, I do have conservative values. But it makes me think if, if something broke bad, what I would be in for after looking at this situation at Ruby Ridge, right? You're in for a world of hurt. And honestly, you know, I've been following you on TikTok for a while. And I just honestly, you're, you're, this topic got me on the, your uh, podcast. But you know what? Some of the things that are even said on TikTok, it's enough for them to get a warrant. And to come check your place out and feel sure. that, you're, that you're doing something. And even I, as a federal agent, and you know, there are things that I know that could easily turn bad in my way. And I know what the resources behind me are. Uh, and it's scary. It's I mean, scary granted, to see the stuff. Granted, in my shoes, I mean, I clearly speak out against the federal government a lot, especially on TikTok. I say a lot of things. Um, and, uh, I mean, granted, if, the, if they came in, uh, you know, I don't think that uh, they would, anything would be founded. Let's put it that way. I'm not doing anything illegal here. No, most you of know. it's covered under the First Amendment. I mean, you know, I'm a prepper myself. You know, there's, there's a reason I was drawn to your TikTok and this podcast. But there's a lot of things out there that people tell you to do and that are online that are completely illegal. And granted, most of it isn't going to get the attention of anyone, but... You know, that takes me back to no-knock warrants. You know, you have someone pop your door at night and they're screaming and yelling and you reach for your trusted pew-pew and next thing you know, you're dead dead. Right, exactly. Um, And, man, I got to tell you, like, I feel like you got me a little bit freaked out there. I feel like I got a little bit of a target on my back now. You know what? Honestly, there are so many people out there. I really (laughs) wouldn't be concerned about it. But, I mean (laughs) – if they, you know, just by mentioning you're a prepper and a, and somewhat of conservatives, nowadays that turns you into the enemy. Oh yeah, that yeah, you're you're in you're in a category now. You could be on a list, absolutely. And uh, Adam, you're gonna have to comment on something on TikTok because I'd like to be able to to send you a message because I'd love to be able to get you back here when we do Waco. I'd love to have you on that full episode if you wouldn't mind being there for that. It's up to you. No, I mean that's fine. I've uh, I've done like you said when, during my training, we've gone over Waco Ruby Ridge a lot. Um, I've worked with the actual real negotiator who is at both sites. Um, that's the book that I was plugging earlier, um, and it's actually a great read. I'd highly recommend it. But I'd be more than happy to. Uh, and like I said, great show. And you know, don't get those don't don't live in fear, man. Don't live in fear. You know, just keep doing what you're doing and. Uh, you know, if something happens, it happens. <laughs> that's a, I guess that's a good way <laughs> it to look at it. it. <laughs> yeah, Trust me, there are things in my life that I don't necessarily fear. want my employers to know about either. But, you know, we live in a free world, free country, and uh, we have the right to say things and do things. And if you want to be 
uh, like Weaver and be a racist, or you want to have faith in your God like the Waco situation did. I know there was other issues there, but um, there was a lot of issues in Waco. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. get into that. But you know, you can't live in fear that someone's going to kick in your door. And if you want to go live in a cabin out in the middle of the woods, that's your right to do so, and you shouldn't right, be bothered. Exactly. And, and honestly, if 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 Randy would have just shown up for court and maybe not cutting barrels down, that would have kept him off the radar. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, he he may have always been on the radar, but it would have kept him out of you know the investigation portion because if you're not committing crimes and being stupid about it, then there's no reason for anyone to come and talk to you. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally get it. And Adam, I, I do appreciate you coming in here, bud. Like, it's so awesome to get your feedback. Um, But we do have Eric in here now, and I wanted to uh, give him a chance to say something as well, because we've only got about 13 minutes left. Um, And then, then we're going to wrap I, up. I here. think um, I think Lexi was asking for, like, Adam's, like, TikTok handle. So, you know, and that way we can follow him. Uh appreciate it but i have a whole different world on tiktok that i'm not yeah, yeah i get it yeah i mean uh I, I have my own stuff going on in there and uh, i'm trying to keep the two worlds separate but i really appreciate lexi and eric um but i definitely will on the show again maybe i'll get another tiktok going but i got one right now that uh like i said trying to keep the two worlds separate but i really appreciate it hey i got a question real quick adam have you met the um agent from uh mind mind hunter because he was a hostage negotiator at the beginning of his career for the FBI. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I yeah, do, and I have ago. not. Uh, it's It's been a while. And, you know, uh, I haven't been able to make to the conventions lately where a lot of these guys are at because of COVID. Um, but I'm hoping to. And But, I, no, I have not met him. Sorry. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if he was still teaching or if what he was. I didn't know what he was doing. But I know that he uh, – started out teaching as a hostage negotiator before he got into the other stuff, but he seemed like a pretty interesting guy. I know who you're talking about as well, Michael. Um, I can't, I don't know his real name. It's, it's Holden Adam, Ford in the show, but it's something else in real life. Right. Adam sounds, Adam sounds young. Uh, I don't know how old you are, Adam, but I'm thinking, was that before your time? Oh yeah. Well, I could, I could tell you that. I mean, I was in the seventies. No, I'm, I'm asking Adam. I'm not asking you. Mike. Yes, it was. I mean, I'm, I'm only in my mid thirties, so a little bit before my time, but he still is on the circuit and he still does uh, do things when it comes right. to uh, trainings. And I mean, even, even, even uh, the, the, the guy from Waco FBI, uh, I can't remember his name. I'm horrible. He's retired, but he still works out there and trains and teaches because he has so much good information just because you're retired does not mean you, the tactics and the stuff that you can do is gone. I think I might have his name here, actually. Hold on a second. Um, was it Dick Norris? Does that sound right? No, that's not right. Hold on. Um, I might have the FBI agent's name here. I thought I had it written down. Um, let's see here. It's John Douglas. John Gary, Douglas. Gary Noser was the FBI at, at Waco, um, and he was at Ruby Ridge. Yeah. And John Douglas is the mine hunter guy. Oh, I that got I got Dick Rogers um was the one that was kind of heading up things. He was the one that uh gave the weavers the order, you know, come out or else. They were getting ready to run down that cabin. They were getting ready to knock it down the hill with them inside of it. Um, really wicked case, man. 
I mean, I'm happy I got to cover this. I hope I did. I hope I did a good job on it. I know a lot of other people have covered this case. Um, but anyway, uh, so Adam, yeah, if you wouldn't mind giving me a follow back so I could message you, or if you don't want to, or, uh, or if you don't want me to follow you on there, that's cool too. I understand. No, no, I um, actually, I follow you on TikTok. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you a poke, let you know it was me. Okay. Very cool. This is an emergency action message. At approximately 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nora is tracking 15 ICBM nuclear missiles inbound to the following cities. Orlando, Miami, Pittsburgh, Dover, Newark, Richland, Philadelphia, New York City, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Boston, Seattle, Detroit. This is an extremely deadly situation. Stay tuned, the next emergency message will be a presidential address.